everyone. Welcome to the Agios Dose. My name is Bill Dykstra. Today is June 5th, and we commemorate Abadorotheus of Gaza. So when I was researching today's Saint Abadorotheus, I actually found a couple of sources that said contradictory things um, on the dating of his feast day, but I'm pretty certain that it's today. So we're going to say that it's today. Um, anyways, I'm excited to talk about Dorotheos because so many of the saints uh, we have been going over have been from like the first like three centuries of the church. Uh, it's nice to have someone a little bit closer to our own time, someone who lived in the uh, sixth century. So um, without further ado, uh, who was Abba uh, Dorotheos? Very little is known about the life, the early life of St. Dorotheos. We know that he was a wealthy man with an avid desire for learning. Dorotheos had some kind of a conversion, something that rocked his life, and he gave away all of his wealth that he had to the poor, and he became a monk in Palestine. He grew in the spiritual life through the guidance of St. John the Prophet and St. Barsanufius. Uh, he did various roles at the monastery. He worked as a doorman. He was a personal attendant to St. John, and he was a worker in the infirmary. Over his life, Dorotheus became an amazing spiritual counselor. His works are all compiled in a book called The Discourses. And the following is a little work he wrote on humility. I thought I'd share that for today's episode. So here it goes. One of the fathers used to say, Prior to all other things, we require humility, being prepared to listen to whatever word is spoken to us, and to say in response, I submit. For by humility, every means of the foe, every type of hindrance, is destroyed. What is the meaning of these words? Why did he state, before all else we need humility, and not, we require self-control? For the apostle declares, all who strive for mastery keep from all things. Or why did he not declare, before all else, we require a fear of God? Because it is written, the being of wisdom is the fear, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It also says, with the fear of the Lord, one turns away from wickedness. Or why did he not declare, prior to all else, we require almsgiving or faith? Because it is said that through faith and charity, we are purified from sin. And so the apostle states, without faith, it is impossible to please God. If then it is impossible to please God, if we lack faith and faith and charity purify from sin and by fear, one turns from evil and the beginning of the wisdom is the fear of the Lord and a man who contends for mastery keeps from everything. Why does he state before everything we require humility and puts aside all these things, all these required things. The saint wanted to show us that neither the fear of God, nor faith, nor self-control, or any other virtues can correct us if we lack humility. So rightfully he says, prior to all else, we require, we require humility, being prepared to listen to whatever word is said to us, and to say, I submit, because by humility, every means of the foe and every hindrance is destroyed. Brothers, think how great is the power of humility. Think about how great is the spiritual energy behind saying, excuse me. Why is the devil referred to not only as a foe, but also as an adversary? 
He was referred to as a foe on account of his hatred for men. One who hates what is good is a traitor. He is an adversary, for he continually places hindrances in the path of goodness. If someone would like to pray, he puts hindrances in the way with evil suspicions, disgraceful thoughts, and spiritual apathy. If one would like to give alms, he hinders it through greed and procrastination. If one wants to keep a vigil, he hinders it with hesitations or laziness. In all things, he is against us when we want to, when we want to do good. This is why he is referred to as the foe and the adversary, and why, through humility, all his attacks and schemes are destroyed. Humility is truly a great thing. For all types of good are advanced by humility, and by working at it we lessen our journey, as it states, Regard my humility and my labor, and take away all my sins. And, I was humiliated, and the Lord delivered me. Because humility alone can guide us into the spiritual life, as the Abba John used to tell us, even if it is slow. So let us also... Be humble for a brief time, and we will be saved. Even if we are unable to suffer many toils because we are weak, may we work to make ourselves humble. I steadfastly believe that, with the mercy of God, a little thing done with a humble nature will enable us to be discovered there, in the same abode as the holy ones who have toiled greatly, and been genuine servants of God. Yes, we are quite weak and cannot toil much, but can we not at least be humble? Truly happy, brothers, is the one who has genuine humility. A great thing is humility. Well, it was pointed out by that saint who had genuine humility and who said, Humility does not become angry and does not upset anyone. This seems an odd thing, because humility is opposed to vainglory, and by this I suppose humility defends a man. But one often grows angry about money and what is available to eat. Why, then, does he declare that humility does not become angry, or provoke to anger? Humility is a wonderful thing, as we keep saying, and it is powerful to put grace into terrible passions. For what is more troublesome to one than to become angry and to anger his neighbor? As some of the seniors have said, it is altogether alien to a monk to become angry. And if one should become angry, unless he is quickly guarded by humbling himself in a brief time, troubled as he is, and disturbing others, he will come under the authority of the devil. For this cause he states that humility does not become angry or stir to anger. But why am I stating that it guards against these two passions. In fact, humility guards the soul from all the passions, and also indeed from all the temptations. When St. Anthony saw all the traps of the devil spread out everywhere, he sighed and inquired of God how anyone could ever keep away from them. God replied, by humility. It is humility that allows you to escape all of them. And what is more wondrous, he added, they are unable to even touch you. Do you now see the power of humility? Do you perceive the grace which is joined to this virtue? For indeed, there is nothing more powerful than humility. 
If a troubling experience befalls a humble man, immediately he goes against himself. Immediately he blames himself as the one deserving punishment, and he does not try to accuse anyone or put the blame on someone else. The rest of the time he continues on this way, undisturbed, undepressed, with complete peace of mind, and so he does not have a reason to become angry or to anger anyone else. So you see that the holy man quite correctly said, Before all else, we need humility. There are two humilities, just as there are two prides. The first pride occurs when one reproaches his brother, when one judges and dishonors him of being of no importance and deems himself superior. If that person does not soon come to himself and strive to correct himself, little by little he comes to the second kind of pride, rising up against God himself. He ascribes all his labors and virtues to himself and not to God, as if he performed them by himself through his own reason and efforts and not to the help of God. Truly, brothers, I knew of a man who came to be in this wretched state. Right from the beginning, if one of these brothers said anything to him, he would say, Who the devil is he? He is not Zosimus, or one of his kind. Then he would start to lessen them and say, There is no one of any significance but Marcarios. Then after a time he would say, Who is Marcarios, anyway? There is no one of any worth, save perhaps Basil or Gregory. Then, in brief time, he began to rebuke them, declaring, Who is Basil? Who is Gregory? There is no one who really matters, save Peter and Paul. And I said to him, Truly, my brother, you are going to hate these soon as well. And trust me, after a brief time, he started to say, Who is Paul? Who is Peter? There is none but the Holy Trinity. And so at last he raised himself up against God, and there he gave up. So we should, my brothers, take up against the struggle, against the first type of pride, for fear that little by little we fall into this full pride. There is also the pride of this world and a pride of the monastic life. The pride of this world is when you are elevated above a brother since you are richer and more good-looking or have better possessions. So when we perceive ourselves becoming vainglorious concerning these things, or on account of having a better monastery, or one that is more convenient, or when we have more brothers, we should see that we have attained a high point of this worldly pride. This is when a young man is vainglorious about material things. And what will I say when a man is elevated about a good voice, or his elegant psalmody? or his reasoning, or an account that he performs his work well. All these are like the first, and more than the pride of this world. But the pride of the monastic life is when a man becomes vain about performing his vigils, or fasting, or his piety, or his mode of life, or his fervor. There is even the case where a man becomes humble to gain glory. All these things, I say, are the pride of the monastic life. Admittedly, we are not lacking pride, but if we are proud of our monastic discipline, at least may we not be proud about material goods. This finishes what I have to say about the first type of pride, 
and also the second, the pride of this world and the pride of the monastic life. It remains for us to discuss the two types of humility. The first type of humility is to think that your brother is smarter than you, and in everything to esteem him higher than yourself and simply, as that saint said, to place oneself below all. The second type is to attribute to God all virtuous deeds. This is the perfect humility of the saints. It is brought about naturally in the soul by the performance of the commandments. It is just like a tree that bears much fruit. It is the fruit that bends the branches and brings them down. But when lacking fruit, the branches point up and grow straight. There are some types of trees which never produce any fruit as long as their branches are upright. But if stones are placed on the branches, they stay upright. But if stones are hung on the branches, they bend down and begin to produce fruit. It is the same with the soul. When it is humbled, it starts to produce fruit. And the more fruit it produces, the lower it becomes. So too with the saints. The closer they get to God, the more they reckon themselves to be sinners. I recall whence when we were conversing about humiliation and one of the great lights of Gaza, hearing us declare, the closer a man is to God, the more he reckons himself to be a sinner, was awestruck and said, how can this be? He did not know and desired to hear the answer. I said to him, Lord of the first rank, tell me, how do you consider yourself with regard to the other laymen here? And he told me, I consider myself as great and the first among the men of the city. I said then, If you should travel to Caesarea, how would you consider yourself then? I think, I would think somewhat less of my greatness. Then I said, If you were to travel to Antioch, what then? And he answered, I would consider myself as a member of the common folk. I said, And if you were went from Caesarea to stand before the emperor. What would you consider yourself then? He answered, I should consider myself just as one of the poor people. Then I told him, There you go. In the same manner, the saints, the closer they draw near to God, the more they regard themselves as sinners. Abraham, when he beheld God, referred to himself as dust and ashes. And Isaiah declared, Woe to me! From my lips, for my lips are polluted. Just the same, when Daniel was in the lion's den, and Habakkuk came to him with the meal and said to him, Receive the food which the Lord has sent you. And Daniel answered, For the Lord has remembered me. He had a very humble heart when he was in the lion's cave, for they did not consume him once and for all, not even after that. And so with wonder he cried, the Lord has remembered me. Do you see the lowliness of the saints and how their hearts were directed to it? Even when angels sent from God were sent to them to aid them, they were not turned from humility but fled from self-honor. As men robed in silk flee if a filthy rag is cast to them in order that their royal garments not be polluted, so the saints, robed in virtue, flee from human praise for fear that they be polluted by it. Those who want that type of glory are like a naked man who constantly looks to find a few rags, anything to cover his shame. So also one who is naked of virtues wants to be glorified by others. 
So the holy men who are sent from God to aid men do not let go of humility. Thus, on one occasion Moses declared, I entreat you, Lord, send another more eloquent than me, because I have difficulty speaking and stutter. Jeremiah said on another occasion, I am a child. So every one of the saints, as I have stated before, obtained this humble nature by fulfilling the commandments. No one can explain how this comes to be, how humility is produced in the soul. Unless a man learns this through experience, he is unable to learn it by verbal reasoning. One day Zosimus was speaking about humility. There was a sophist there who, when he heard what was said, wanted to look more deeply into it. And he said, Explain to me how you can consider yourself a sinner. Can you not see that you are a saint? Do you not perceive that you have already obtained virtue? Do you not perceive that you are fulfilling the commandments? How is it that you are doing all these things and you still regard yourself to be a sinner? The old man did not quite know how to answer, but he said, I do not know how to explain, but it is true. The sophist swept aside the statement and repeated his inquiry to know how this could be. But the old man still could not find a means of explaining it and started to say with his normal saintly simplicity, Do not test and confuse me. I can only tell you that this is precisely how I feel. Since I saw the old man hesitating about how to reply, I said to him, Is this not like the sophists or physicians, when someone is studying it carefully and is practicing his craft bit by bit, by doing the work he obtains the state of mind fitting to a sophist or a doctor, and he is incapable of speaking about it and does not know how to explain how bit by bit he was guided into that state of mind? because the soul has absorbed it imperceptibly? The same thing is found with respect to humility. The works of fulfilling the commandments produces a state of humility, and the means cannot be described in words. When he heard this, Abbot Zosimus was delighted and hugged me and said, You have found the answer. It is as you say. The sophist hearing this had his disquiet put to rest and accepted the words. Because the elders used to say that by doing things we create humility. When the state of true humility is produced in the soul, no one can find a sufficient description of it. When Abba Agathon was dying, the brothers said to him, Father, are you fearful? He said, As much as it is within my ability, I have observed the commandments. But I am only a man. How do I know if my work is pleasing to God? The judgment of man is one thing. The judgment of God is another entirely. See how he brought humility to our attention, guiding us to attain it? How it is produced in the soul, as I have said, no one can find the words to explain. Nor is it possible to take hold of it through the mind, if the soul, through its deeds, is found unworthy to know it. But the fathers had a habit of saying what produces it. Among the elders, it used to be said that a brother asked one of the fathers, What is humility? And one of the elders answered, Humility is a great and divine labor, and the road of humility is work, bodily effort, while seeking to know oneself and to place oneself below all else and praying to God about all things. This is the path to humility. 
but humility itself is something from God and cannot be understood. Why is it said that bodily efforts bring the soul to humility, and how can it be said that bodily efforts have effect on the soul? Concerning being below all, we have related above because it is against the first type of pride. Because how can a man consider himself better than his brothers, being puffed up about anything, or blaming or hating anyone, if he considers himself lower than all? In the same manner, to pray all the time is certainly the antidote for the second form of pride. It is clear that the humble man, the God-fearing man, knows full well that nothing good, nothing proper and sure happens in the soul without the aid of the authority of God, and therefore he does not cease praying that God act with mercy towards him. A man standing in need of everything from God is prepared to make progress. He understands how he will make progress and is unable to be puffed up. He does not depend on his own talents, but attributes to God all things. He does the right and always gives thanks to him. He is constantly calling on God, lest God stop aiding him, and so will let his innate weakness and helplessness appear. So by his act of humility, he prays, and by his prayer he becomes humble. Insomuch as he is regularly advancing in virtue, he is regularly increasing in humility. The more humble he becomes, the more aid he receives, and so he progresses by this virtue of humility. Now we come back to the question of why physical effort produces the state of humility, and what influence bodily toils has on the disposition of the soul. As I stated earlier, it is on account of the soul having fallen from the commandments into a state of disobedience, and then was given over, as St. Gregory says, to a love of pleasures and self-will which make one err. So the soul begins to love the carnal pleasures, and in a sense is discovered to have received the same characteristics as the body, and to have become fully carnal. As is said, My spirit will not dwell in men, for they are made of flesh. As much as the poor soul at the same time endures and cooperates with the things done by the body, so also, the elder says, the bodily efforts guide it to humility. The state of the soul of a person that is healthy is one thing, and that of a sick person another, that of a hungry person another, that of a well-fed person, another. So also the inclinations of a man riding a horse are different from those of a man riding a donkey, those of a man on a throne from those of a man seated on the floor. The inclinations of one robed in royal garments differ from one robed in rags. May we work to humble our body, and when the body is humble, the soul will be humble with it, so that it is said truly that bodily toils lead to humility. This is why Evagrius, when he was warring with the temptation of blasphemy as a person with genuine wisdom, knowing that blasphemy comes from pride, and that when the body is humbled, the soul will be humbled with it, spent forty days naked in the wilderness, without shelter, so that his body was like a wild beast covered with insects, and thus his body labor did not bring about blasphemy, but humility. 
Thus the elder was correct in saying that bodily efforts leads to humility. Let God, who is good, give us the grace of a humble nature, which delivers us from so much wickedness and saves us from the greatest temptations. So I would say that was pretty good. I mean, I need to learn more about humility. I need to read more about humility. I needed more in my ecosystem. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to pick up the discourses of of uh, St. Dorotheus of Gaza. And, and if you would like to do so, I'm sure you can find it on Amazon. Anyways, thank you very much for listening. This has been your Daily Dose of Agios. St. Diodorus of Gaza, pray for us for humility. <laughs>